Hey, Pepin. Yo, yo. You know, I've been thinking a lot about things that make me have thoughts. Like, what kind of things exactly? Like, sometimes I see a thing, and sometimes I got ear ear sounds going on. Hmm. I, I sense that you're talking about the senses. Well, t- touch, smell, ghosts, and taste. Ghosts? That's That's a sense, right? Steve, we need to talk. us i'm here once again with nathan pepin how's it going it's going well going well happy to hear that we also do have on with us today special guest b how's it going brand oh it's going how about you it's going pretty good keep your face close to the mic otherwise nobody can hear you and that would be a darn shame wait wait what's b speaking right there yes strange because if people can't hear you how can they know you exist mm. See, that, that wasn't forced at all no that sounded really natural <laughs> but, but really like like in a conceptual kind of sense you know getting to the topic if you <laughs> <laughs> you don't sound bitter at all nathan <laughs> getting to the topic <laughs> well, well, like, well it's like damn that was contrived <laughs> Everything we've ever done is contrived. Yeah. But so you're saying that if if you don't touch one of the senses, you don't exist. I'm saying that let's say there is something that exists out there and you never sense it. It never comes to your senses. Can you say that thing exists? Depends. Um, does it have an effect on the world that is noticeable? Not on your world. Nothing you can see. Nothing you can hear. Nothing you can taste, touch. Well, I mean, it's just because you can't feel it with one of your senses doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Mm. Like, um, let's say that there's um, a high-pitched sound, right? Like a dog whistle. And we can't hear it, but it makes the dog bark. So that's the effect of the dog barking tells you that there is something that's there. And just because you can't hear it yourself doesn't mean that it's not there. Mm. So let's say that we can include your senses into a more kind of a generalized way where it's not necessarily your ears necessarily, but you can use your other senses, say your vision and uh, say a microphone that records the sound and you can kind of, you know, slow down the pitch and audacity or whatever or whatever you recorded and see, oh, there is actually a pitch here. There's actually a sound. And you can kind of use that sense to confirm that this dog whistle actually does make a sound. So, in a sense, enhancing your own abilities to your own senses to a point to a, a superhuman strength, yeah, through technology. Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of like with physics. I mean, f- most most of like quantum physics type stuff doesn't actually use you know we doesn't use our own senses. Rather, it uses you know physical systems, and we interact with those physical systems and collect data in a way where we try to make sense of it. Math, math is math one of the senses. I don't know. B, what would you say on that? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, well, <laughs> can you name all the senses? Uh, sight, smell, taste, touch, hearing. Five. Ghost. Right? 
Ghost. Sorry, six. Um, there's also acceleration, like feeling like feeling something's accelerating. Uh, heat, which is kind of like touch, but also kind of different. Like temperature, like. That's its own. That okay. So, you said it's like touch. So is there sub senses? Can you can you sense heat without touch? Uh, well, yeah. but it touches you. I mean, it's something that's touching you, but it's something that's kind of separate from. Can you sense heat without touch? Smell. I mean, you, you can smell it, like smell smelling or tasting lightning. Can you can you can you sense heat without? using a different sense that already oh, exists okay without because if the answer is no then it's not its own so from a physiological perspective there's the touch sensors mm-hmm. and then there's the uh, heat and uh cold or rather it's like a kind of i think it's warm and it's hot and then there's kind of a cold i think bitter cold is like uh both the kind of like burning and kind of a uh, uh cold sensors it's but like a popsicle yeah like a popsicle but like i think from a physiological point of view they're they're separate you know and in a way you can say everything is kind of touch you know taste is touch just on your tongue so if if the you're saying physiologically the ability to sense temperature versus the ability to touch are two separate processes so therefore if you did not have the ability to sense touching, you would still have be able to have the ability to sense temperature. Yeah, I don't know if there's a... Yeah, I think that might be the case. I don't know if there's a case study exactly with that particular one, but there are ones where it's a, a pain. So there's a, this one guy out there who has... I don't know what it's called, but that, that's some condition where he can sense touch. So he can feel people touching him. He can sense touch, but he can't feel pain. And so, if you punch him, he'll feel you. He'll feel you punching him, but it's not like "ow, that hurts." This is kind of like, like you know, it just feels the sensation. So, yeah. I, I'm not sure if there's the inverse there, where you know you feel the sensation of heat or coldness, but you uh, don't feel it, like like the effect. I think pain's different because that's more of a neuro- neurological thing rather than a sensory thing. The, the sensory isn't the problem right it's more in the brain at that point and heat or temperature if you will is more by sensory not well no your brain does tell you but it starts with this the sense of touch of some sort whether it's touching you or you touching it it's an experience your body's having i mean it's the same with pain though i mean I mean, both things are neurological as well. Right, but you feel the touch. Like, the punch, there's a touch. You can you can feel the impact. Yeah. You just don't have the the repercussion, the, the pain with it. Right? Am I understanding? I mean, there's pain receptors or pain, pain neurons, like, uh, just butchering the, whatever the term is going to be. But, right. Uh, like, there's something that feels like kind of pressure. And then there's also things that feel, you know, like, whether something is hurting or not. Okay. And like pain receptors, so when these pain receptors, you know, when ample force is being uh, applied, it says this hurts. You know, this is bad, and it kind of sends a message to the brain. The brain kind of reacts to that. Okay. Uh, this person wasn't born with those pain receptors, so okay. he can feel the touch. He just can't feel the pain. Now we can feel the pain because we have those pain receptors. Right. So it's okay. I feel the burn. <laughs> Jeez. Po- po- politics. I love Bernie. Po- po- politics. Uh, and 
certain senses can be tricked sometimes, uh, like uh, Caspian, which is the active ingredient in uh, hot sauce and capsaicin, capsaicin, whatever it is. And Caspian is a C. Is it? (laughs) Must be a salty C. But uh, that molecule, it you know, it burns in our mouth and also on our skin. Not because it's actually you know doing anything to our skin or anything, but rather it it tricks the burning mo- or like the uh, receptors on your skin and your mouth into thinking that this burning sensation happening. It kind of activates those you know, neurons, those uh, nerve endings, and says, "Yeah, something's burning here." When nothing else is actually happening, you know, you can get someone who let's say didn't have the sense of burning or that kind of a heat or you know cold kind of receptors and they would not feel anything with a uh, capsaicin <laughs> that, was the- that was my whole comment on this. Mm. okay that's fair your bass guitar is looking at me funny is it mm. interesting how an inanimate object can be giving me a look huh hmm are you alluding to like maybe sensations or perception interplaying with sensation how do you view the world Mm-hmm. Exactly. And personifying thing inanimate objects or even uh lower level animals to having the emotions or the properties of something uh human humanoid at least. Mm. Uh what's an example you've seen in you know the, your life? Um you, the bass guitar is looking at me funny. That's a, that's a, that's a very good one. That's a very good one. <laughs> Have you seen any kind of weird kind of like people personifying things be? Yeah, actually, Meter and I had this discussion what, last night with the cat, I think. Probably. Yeah. Uh, we talk about, we talk to him about a lot of things. Yeah, we treat him like, well, I I treat him like human more than most. Like he's a little baby human. And, and your cat's not a human? Is that, is that is that what we're getting? I treat him like he is. Steven says he's a cat, not a baby. Well, he's, I, I said that I, like if somebody comes into my home, uh, they should be treating my cat with respect uh, because he is a living creature and he has rights that I believe are inalienable. And just because you're a human doesn't mean that you're better than this animal, um, especially when the animal... All he's ever known is life inside of a house, and I am his god that gives him food and water, and uh, I play with him. And if I'm not playing with him, he really doesn't have anything to do. So basically, his entire life revolves around me and Brienne. Um, so for you to treat him lesser, to me, is a screwed up thing in the first place. Mm-hmm. But... Um, so, so my argument was that people who say things like he's just a cat, like, why are you minimizing another living creature just because it's not the same species as you? And that, are you that much? Uh, it reminds me of nationalism, which I know, Nathan, you hate. Yeah. This is a great, great topic to jump on while we're talking about the senses. Well, I get the sense that, uh, I'm just going to keep using that, that B is trying to up the cat's kind of uh, I think it's no moral being by you know kind of saying it's human in a way uh, it's trying to training like a baby training like a human is kind of doing you know kind of creating it into a human in your mind right it's kind of elevating it 
So there's a lot of people who do just as meter says that they um, kind of degrade it as a lesser being or perceive it as a lesser being. And I am the extreme opposite where I hold it to at least my standard or more. And because that's, that's my com- companion when I don't have meter, that's who I've got. That That's with me. He's with me. So I do. I, I talk to him as if he, <laughs> I take it to a whole new level. I talk to him as if he, He's talking back. We have conversations. He supervises me, helps me clean. It's quite interesting, actually. It's like our own little world. And that's where I think it goes over the line. Right. Like, I I talk to the cat, too, and I believe that, you know, obviously he can understand, um, he he can understand emotions, he can understand tone, um, and words that I use all the time, like when I say cat. He knows I'm talking about him. He looks at me and he's like, what the fuck do you want? I'm like, I'm talking about you. What's your problem? So, but people are like, well, cat doesn't understand you. But then they actually see me talking with the cat and they're like, okay, maybe he does understand you. Like, it's a a little different. (laughs) Um, But you go beyond the point where you like have conversations like he's saying things back to you. And that's where I think you're putting a little you're projecting yourself onto him and i think that's a step too far because then you're making him into something that he's not right i'm not arguing i agree that that does happen but it keeps my sanity well arguable but (laughs) i mean that's that's something that happens in relationships as well i mean there's like term the, the halo effect it's like you take all like take a girl or you know a guy or whatever and they're like a crush, right? And you start crushing on them super hard. And then they become something that they're actually not. Like, they're this perfect, unbelievable being that you could do nothing wrong. And then let's say that you actually get into a relationship with them. And then you find out, oh, they, they got problems. I feel like you said something like that to me once. Like, you're not, you're yes, infallible. Steve. Yes, meter, sorry, Steve. That... You're you're not. I can't remember how you said it, but hang on, I'm trying to recall it. It's not coming completely, but that does happen. I don't know if you if thought I perceived you as perfect or godlike or. I assume everyone thinks that. Okay, fair. I mean, we know Steve is a god, so I mean, I'm not sure what the contention here is. I prefer an, I, I prefer the article the, but that's okay. I'll, <laughs> the, I'll accept god. a today. <laughs> Well, you see, there's got to be epic clashes. Are you, are you going to just, like, your dominion, or is it just the, the cat's dominion, or is it expanded? I mean, ah uh, and they, uh, technically they're both correct, but one is more correct than the other. They god? The. Oh. Versus a. A. a I mean, god. technically the god is a god, but the implication there being a god meaning there's more than one, and the god meaning there is only one. Mm-hmm. So technically, they're both right, but one is more correct than the other. Right, right. And what's interesting about like, uh, as far as like ancient people and their gods is they would try to understand them, just like your cat was trying to understand you. Right? It's, it knows you intimately, and you, maybe you could say it worships you, or but uh, probably can. But like people really tried to understand the gods, and I think a lot of the mythology we have from you know ancient people is them trying to understand the unknown trying to understand what's happening 
and encapsulating it into this projection called God and writing stories about the gods or the unknown or what is kind of uh, they're trying to perceive, trying to uh, placate to. And, and in the same way, like just like you feed your cat, you water your cat, you take care of them, uh, sometimes you know, talk to them. You know, in the same way, you know, from a person who's just kind of living, you know, Zeus gives the rain, Athena does whatever Athena does. And, you know, all these other gods, they have a function into the people's life. And without those functions, they're kind of helpless. So you're saying that the cat is people in this scenario? The cat is people and you are their god. <laughs> I don't. Yes. I don't think he necessarily looks at me as a god. I was I was using your example. I know, but I'm I'm more delving into the psychology of how the cat thinks and adding in my own two cents about what I think he thinks, which realistically means nothing. But I don't think he he sees me as a god. I think he sees me as his best friend, uh-huh. and that's way better. Best friend or bros? Best friend. Best friend. Best friend, best friend? for sure. Mm-hmm. He likes me, but he he loves. Steven and there's he he prefers Steven they are they are best buddies uh, for the majority of things I don't know when we come home he you're the first one he goes and hangs out with not me I feel like he no he headbutts me I love headbutts and he's learned this and I don't hold him and hug him and kiss him like most people welcome to the cat episode everybody <laughs> this is the episode where we talk about Timothy the cat so how do you know that he knows he like headbutts maybe he's doing it to, like like he thinks he's kind of biting you like gotta take that and no no you secretly no. like it no i it just there's this i feel like there's just this understanding i like headbutts <laughs> and that's what i ask for i always ask him for a headbutt he gives me one <laughs> he does and he definitely Thank headbutts you. you a significant amount more than i yeah than i yeah, and he, like, when I pick him up in the morning, there's this nice little ritual we do. <laughs> Get away from me and Me and him have uh, have a ritual of our own as well, and, and a general understanding. He does not like to be picked up, but I like holding him. So the deal that we have is I can pick him up, I can hold him, I can give him a hug, and we usually do a headbutt, and I'll say something stupid to him, like, that's a mighty fine looking cat face you got going on. And then I'll say, all right, thank you. And then I'll set him down. And like a lot of other cats, if you do something like that with them, they'll run away because they, they want to make sure they're not getting picked up again. But he understands that I have, once I pick you up and put you back down, we're good. Like I just, I got to do it the once. And he, he accepts that. So maybe these rituals are just products of classical conditioning. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. he's definitely classically conditioned. Yes. And now you're classically conditioning yourself? Yes. As... Oh, absolutely. I-, I consider it something closer to a social contract. Social contract doesn't need to be outwardly spoken. That's what makes it the social contract. And him and I, through our rituals, have created our own social contract where we have this understanding between a- between each other. These are the things you don't like. These are the things I don't like. Let's not cross each other's lines. And these are the things that we're willing to compromise on. Being picked up is one of those things. I pick him up two, maybe three times a day. And I, I can't pick him up. He doesn't he doesn't like it. He wiggles almost immediately. Like, even before I can really pick him up fully, he wiggles. He tries to crane and get away. And he'll stay ahead just out of reach if I'm unsuccessful or once I put him down or whatever um, for a significant 
significant amount of time, but with meter, he'll go right back to him immediately after he puts him down. So there is that understanding there, um, for sure. And then also, I I don't know if you've noticed, there's also roles that we play, like playing and and feeding and um, caretaking. That's that's meter's role. I'm just treats lady and someone to hang out with and headbutt girl. What I find interesting about this is this is a nonverbal kind of contract, you know, you would say. And you guys are totally basing this off your sensations. So your senses of his perception of you. And you're also basing off these mental models of Bart's kind of understanding of yourself. Tim. Tim. Bart died. Oh, yeah. But anyway, so. Thank you for that moment of silence. I'll, I'll cry a bit later. Uh, so, you know, you are modeling his reactions, his sensations, like how he's perceiving you in your head, and you're trying to come to an understanding of what he wants based off how he reacts to what you want and how you interact with him, and you kind of come to some kind of mutual understanding that it's nonverbal. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, everything has to obviously be nonverbal, although he does talk to my brother, Nick. <sighs> My brother Nick will look at him and will will say something or is some, he'll meow it at the cat and the cat will meow back to him. And he's the only one that he does that with. Yeah. That's and he true. does it consistently. It's not just like one time he did it. It's like every time. Sometimes they'll talk for like a couple minutes at a time. Yeah. Just meowing back and forth at each other. Yeah. Does your brother have like a really good meow? I don't know. He apparently knows. It's, a, it's like a thing that they do. It's their own nonverbal contract that they've made that they're Actually, allowed to have a conversation it's, it's verbal. To, to a verbal <laughs> it really is it's just a, a thing that they do now one kind of also you're kind of heavily features in these later episodes now like like this is this is this come like the uh, steve's cat show it would be <laughs> we're renaming the show guys it's uh this is called tim it's the name of the show <laughs> oh one day your cat will actually feature in an episode. We'll have a meow. <laughs> We'd have to bring Nick in to get him to meow. Seriously. We're changing the name of the show to Two Insane Men. <laughs> <laughs> two and a half. We'll, we'll tell Tim that it's actually two, it's called two, two and a Half Mice. And then he'll go. <laughs> Apparently, so, Brianne likes that joke. <laughs> So one thing we were talking about earlier, and it's a particular kind of thought experiment with senses, is when you say taste something, let's say you, that's like a, let's say... A taco? A taco. Let's say you really love tacos, and you you know, you taste it, right? And let's say there's one, say, uh, Jim, who really hates tacos, and you just can't figure out why he hates tacos, what's going on? And the question is... When Jim tastes a taco, is he actually experiencing the same thing you're experiencing in his taste buds? And just seeing, being like, no, no, I don't like this. No, no, this isn't to my preferences. Or is he experiencing something which is totally different? Not even totally what you'd be having. Like, if you were to take what his taste buds were perceiving and put it into your mouth, you'd be like, oh, ick. Are you talking about trading tongues? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like trading spaces, but trading tongues. But with tongues. (laughs) Yeah, tongues. Trading tongues. Wait, that sounds like like not what we're talking about. 
It's a tutorial on French kissing. <laughs> yes, yes. Trading tongues. So, Celebrity trading tongues. <laughs> so, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I don't know. It reminds me of the thought experiment of uh, the color that I call red may be what you would call, what you call blue. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, the idea being what I perceive may not be the same as what you perceive, but we're able to to communicate with each other because we have a general understanding. Uh, but the, the difference here being that we're not necessarily perceiving the same thing because the makeup of the taste buds on our tongue are different. Um, and possibly, uh, now does taste have something to do with uh, like uh, emotional response to things and um, and, and what other uh, mental aspects play a role in taste to say something tastes good or something tastes not good. I just got me thinking because I think, uh, I mean, there's that study they do where if you leave someone in a room, like what, like a, a shock thing, like a zapper, like and there's nothing else to do, people will usually start zapping themselves because they're bored. And I find a lot of my tastes sometimes are, like, things which are kind of extreme, like, you know, like, uh, warheads and uh, hot tamales and just hot stuff. And I think it's just to kind of satiate boredom. It's just, you need something, like, boom, like, right there. Or, like, eating to where people eat to out of boredom or they eat their emotions. Is that kind of like that? Yeah, kind of. Well, for me, I'm just saying, uh, like... If I'm kind of bored, like having something which is like, like a, like a, like say something really sour, it's kind of like, oh man, like it kind of satiates your boredom. It's like a shock. Oh, okay. And, you know, I can see with other emotions, like if you want to feel lavish, maybe have some, uh, something that kind of is a bit lavish in cake. itself. Like cake. A, like eating cake mm. in a candlelit bath, bathroom with bath bomb. <laughs> that, that sounds like terrible. I mean, you're. Well, get, yeah, but it's lavish. You're going to get the cake wet, and it's going to be like, oh, do I eat this or just throw it out? You don't get the cake wet. What sort of cake <laughs> etiquette do you have? You put it in a little fucking tugboat, and you eat that bad boy. Wait, what? <laughs> How do you eat cake in the bathtub? I don't think it makes it to the bathtub with me. Fair enough. So... <laughs> like, and I'm just trying to, like, imagine eating cake in the bathtub, and it's like... I'm going to drop, like, half a piece in there, and it's like, okay, do I just, maybe it's, I don't know, I don't want to waste it, but. So, so you're, you're, you're saying that liking having, like, a warhead or, or something that's extreme on one of the sense, one of the taste senses, um, like, sweet or sour or hot. Or salty. You're, you're saying that you feel that has to do with satiating boredom? Yeah, well, at least with myself. I mean, it's like, if you're kind of like bored and have nothing to do, it's kind of like, uh, muzzle, pop a warhead, or uh, it's like, uh, if you're driving, like, sometimes when I'm driving, I buy, like, hot tamales, and it's kind of like, you no, know, start start eating them, because, or even things you don't necessarily like, but you just kind of drink it just because it's like, oh, okay, this, this is interesting. It's keeping my attention. Like, I'm not thinking about, like, oh, how boring. It's just like, oh, man, fuck, this is hot. Mm. Keeps you alert, kind of. Well, I know, I know. With with warheads, the only reason that I would eat a warhead now is because it would give me an emotional response to when I had warheads in the past. Mm. So that sour taste would do something for me 
in that sense, in a nostalgic sense, but it, I don't know if I could say that it would satiate my boredom at all. Hmm. But maybe I have less of a simple monkey mind like you. Maybe, maybe. Also, is is nostalgia a sense? It's it's a, if it is, it's a pretty shitty one. <laughs> <laughs> nostalgia makes people think that 007 GoldenEye on the N64 is a good game, and it's not. It is an awful game. Go play it. It does not hold up. It's terrible. Uh, I mean, one game I think is really amazing is uh, Morrowind, and that's like an <gasps> old yes. game. And it, there's certain aspects which don't hold up at all, but the story and so many things in the game are yeah, it's like it's so much better than like ah, God, so I'm gonna lose this now. But yeah, so much better than stuff nowadays. And I feel like a lot of people confuse something that was revolutionary or really good for its time as still being good. It, just because it was good in 1990 doesn't mean that it's good in 2017. The It's changed in such a dramatic way. Is it important? Is it relevant? Maybe. Does it take away from the fact that it was revolutionary and it, and it was huge? Absolutely not. But it sucks. Yeah, yeah well... You could say maybe it sucks. I can think of one example, which is, uh, you know, people are going to cringe when they hear it as Seinfeld. Hmm. I never watched Seinfeld when it was coming out. I never really knew the show. Uh, I started seeing episodes, like, far after it had run its course. And it seemed very, very generic to me. Like, super generic uh, sitcom. Why? Well, because every show that came after Seinfeld copied Seinfeld. They copied it so much that Seinfeld is now just a cliche. Mm-hmm. So did Seinfeld suck at the time? Oh, well, I imagine not. But for me, having seen everything that copied it and probably did certain aspects way better, it, it sucks. It's, it, I mean, it's entertaining, but it's not like I want to watch Seinfeld. It's, like, it's generic. Like when we talked about South Park uh, and that they were running into trouble not copying The Simpsons because The Simpsons had done everything. Mm-hmm. So if you go back and watch Simpsons episodes... You're seeing the same thing. Oh, wow, that's that's really cliche. I can't believe they stooped to that. No, no, no. They invented it. It wasn't cliche. It became cliche afterwards. But that doesn't mean that it's not cliche now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another good example is uh, Hendrix. So, like, Hendrix was obviously an amazing guitar player, blah, 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 like this, you know, Seinfeld. But Hendrix got copied so, so much that uh, a lot of his stuff is just kind of not very that impressive, I mean, anymore. And same with a lot of guitarists now. I mean, uh, I think guitar knowledge has gone around so much so that, uh, like, Van Halen used to be really well known for his guitar playing. He's still an amazing guitar player, but there's guitar players who are just as good as him, if not better. Maybe, maybe not as an innovative. Maybe not as maybe not as creative, but they can still do the same things he does, and maybe even more. Prince, he sent me a letter once. He said he needed money. Okay, that would never happen. He said, "I'm." I'm the prince of yeah, no, Norwegia, no. and I need money. The artist formerly known as Prince. Oh. I like Bob Ross. Or a symbol. Oh, I love Bob Ross. Sorry. No, he paints some really great things, but you'd never know it if you didn't have your eyes. And we're going to have a happy little tree. See, there's some personification. Bob Ross did that all the time. Happy little trees. Mm. Happy because the trees are happy. Or happy because they make him feel happy. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's also extending his happiness 
into the trees. So mm-hmm. he's painting the trees in a way which makes him feel happy. Projecting and personifying something that he himself is creating. Now that is fascinating. Mm, what's also interesting is uh, it kind of extends beyond himself into us because I, I don't know if you guys know, as a thing, watching Bob Art's videos to fall asleep because his voice is super soothing. He's also this very kind of a happy-go-lucky guy, it seems. He's in the military, which I don't... This doesn't really fit me for that. Navy but, SEAL? Yeah, but... Or a Marine? It doesn't really seem like he's like that at all, because mm-hmm. he's just super soothing and stuff. Like, you hear his voice, and you start kind of like, oh, man, I'm kind of calm now. kind of relaxed. Yeah, people hear my voice, and they never expect that I'm a meth addict. <laughs> that <laughs> 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 This just kind of came out. Sorry. No, I used to watch Bob Ross. I think it was Sundays at, at my dad's house on PBS, and we'd sit there and watch him for an hour. And when he'd say, happy little cloud or happy little tree, like, I really did feel happy watching it. And I was so mesmerized by how good he was with his techniques. Um, but I, I think you're right The him perceiving something or saying it's happy because it makes him feel happy and then me perceiving it and then taking on what he's saying are emotions in themselves a sense like the ability to sense emotions the ability to mirror emotions um the ability to feel the same emotion that that person is feeling sympathy and empathy oh god this this goes into like so many rabbit holes because i i think they're a sense uh and I, I, I don't know. It, it's like, how does your consciousness relate to yourself? Because at least as far as I go, like, there's me, like, in my head. There's, like, the self-conception of myself, like, natural conscious me. And then there's my emotions, my body, and stuff, which is me as well, you know. Like, I associate with me, but it's not exactly me. So you disassociate your emotions from you? Not necessarily. Sometimes they're in tune, but sometimes it's like, uh, like... Sometimes oh, I might I might be tired, right? And you know I'm not thinking consciously like like uh like my brain is t- like my consciousness isn't tired. It's my body that's tired. It's my mind that's tired. It's not my consciousness that's tired. Or maybe I might be kind of angry about something, you know, underneath somewhere. On but, your knees? Yeah, under, under, I may be angry on my knees somewhere, really getting at it. But. <laughs> You know, it's it's like from a conscious point of view, I'm like, I shouldn't be angry. This isn't, you know, I'm not associating with anger, but it's it's there. I know I'm angry. I'm sensing I'm angry. You just gotta beat it. <laughs> I think I broke Brienne. She just popped like a balloon, <laughs> like a girl balloon. Just stuck a needle in her, and she. So I'm sensing that this might be a wrap for this podcast. I think today. we just destroyed Brian. We need to give her a second here. So. You heard her. We gotta stop. We gotta stop and we need to talk. She's ever able to talk again. Is she gonna be okay? We're here, satisfied with the sensory goodness of this podcast. We'll give us rating on iTunes. Also, our Twitter at WNTT1 or Facebook at We Need to Talk Show. We also have a Patreon. You can donate to us there. That'd be awesome. Also, you know, tell us what you think of the episode. Uh, 
Give some criticism, comments, likes, wherever you want. Oh, so yesterday, uh, I work for a roofing company. So we were at the trade show. Mm. And one of the sales guys didn't have some business cards, so I had to bring them to him. But the trade show was already, like, up and running, and it had been going on for a couple hours. So there was no parking. So I went up to, like, as close to the building as I could get, and there was an area there with some parking spots that were coned off. So I parked my car, got out, moved the cones, parked in that spot, and went into the building. That's pretty badass, I have to say. And then uh, I got in. I didn't have a ticket. And I went up to the lady. And she's like, you have a ticket? I'm like, no, I'm just dropping off these business cards where we're actually here presenting. So can I just go in and drop these off? Or I don't want to get anybody in trouble. And she, like, covered her eyes and then looked at me. And so I hadn't moved yet. And she, like, motioned for me to go inside and then covered her eyes again. So I'm like, oh, I'll be right back. <laughs> I went inside. So I, I got away with a whole bunch of stupid bullshit yesterday. And I had no re- like reason for actually legitimately getting away with any of it. And then when I got back out to my car, there was a cop sitting at the end of the area that I was at. And I got in my car and I followed him out. Yeah, that's what you do. I can just imagine you would be like, oh, cones are in the way. I'm like, I'm not going into the parking garage, paying, walking three minutes just to get inside of a building that I could park right here. Nobody's here. There's no reason why these cones need to be here. Mm -hmm. Like it's, and it it had like a sign on it. It was like reserved for some special parking. And I'm like, well, that's not me, but there's the cone. There we go. Didn't your sister get in trouble for stealing a parking cone once? Yeah, but that was different. They were driving down the highway, and she reached out of the car and (laughs) grabbed a cone (laughs) off the side of the road while construction workers were working, pulled it into the car, and they they were still driving. And, like, there were cops (laughs) everywhere. So, yeah, she got in trouble for that. Isn't that government property? Yes. 